This is the final week, week four in our teaching series through the life of Joseph. We've called it Unexpected. Waiting on God when our plans fall apart. Because we all know life is filled with the unexpected, right? We encounter it every day when our plans don't go according to plan. Sometimes we encounter it in big ways. Sometimes we encounter it in small ways. But we are familiar with the unexpected when uh, our plans seem to fall apart. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that God has left us or abandoned us or forsaken us. In fact, it's often, it, it is exactly the opposite. It, God is nearer than we think. He's more present and more involved and more engaged. And as we've been looking at the life of Joseph over the last few weeks, I hope that you've had that growing sense within your, uh, your own walk with the Lord as you experience the unexpected of life together. So I want to read our text for this morning. We're skipping uh, to the very end of the story, uh, Genesis chapter 50. So I encourage you to open up, if you will, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Uh, and we'll look at the, the teaching text for this morning. And then we're going to take some time to kind of do a, a bit of a review, recap, collective recap of the series to date, uh, hitting some of the headlines and major themes, hopefully, so that you can see how they have been building and layering uh, in case you missed it as we walked through. And then we'll land back with this text uh, for all that God might speak to us this morning. So Genesis chapter 50, we see in verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is kind of the, maybe, maybe you know, you've been waiting for this verse over the last four weeks, if you've been tracking with us through the series. This is, in a lot of ways, the, the banner headline verse, really, that hangs over the life of Joseph, isn't it? You know, maybe you know it in a different translation. What was meant for evil, God has made good. You know, or what, what, what it was intended for harm is the way it says here. Well, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. This is, in a lot of ways... The, uh, the banner verse that hangs over Joseph's life, isn't it? And we've seen that play out over and over and over again throughout Joseph's life. If you remember with me, all the way back to where we kicked things off in the first week, where we talked about Joseph having a dream from God and then going on to kind of share that dream. Well, the dream was that he was going to be raised up and that all his brothers and even his parents were going to bow down to him. And so in his youthful arrogance and immaturity, he He runs off and tells his older brothers uh, what's going to happen, and we all know that didn't go so well. They responded, as older brothers often do, by selling them into slavery. (laughs) 
Um, well, that's what happened, in, you know, like, like that, that's, that's the story, right? And we learned in that first week, though, we saw through Joseph's life that our circumstances do not characterize the presence of God. They're simply the context in which we experience the presence of God. Because we saw immediately after when Joseph was sold into slavery, we saw that he was shipped off to Egypt and it said in the text that God was with Joseph. You remember it? And that was the prize. That was the gift, the presence of God with him. And the implication of that means that it doesn't matter what our circumstances are to some extent, because that's where God is with us. No matter what we're facing in life, we're not facing it alone. God is with us in it. He sees all. He knows all. And in fact, those hard and difficult moments of our lives are often the places where God wants to meet us and heal us and shape us and form us. And be. And so our, our, our uh, encouragement is, even when our dreams are shattered and our plans fall apart, the invitation is to tune into what God might be doing and, uh, and, 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 and be attentive to that. And then the second week, we saw that he was not only uh, sold into slavery, but then he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife had the hots for him, made a pass. He with, with, uh, you know, didn't give in to temptation. You know, he stayed strong, person of integrity, godly character. Um, and, and we saw then that he was falsely accused, falsely convicted thrown into jail, poorly, you know, absolutely mistreated, mistreated, and yet it said that the text told us that God was with Joseph again and again. And we see then that stage of life in Joseph's life. Remember, it was 13 years of imprisonment during which God was forming character inside of Joseph, character amidst his captivity. And we saw that God was doing an inner work through Joseph's outer circumstances. What was he doing? to grow humility and dependence upon God. That's what God was doing, right? We saw it all the way through. And the big question that really hung in the air during that second week was, will Joseph submit and surrender to the work of God or will he resist? Will his heart be soft and malleable to the work of God in his life or will he harden his heart and resist? Because that was Joseph's choice, and that's our choice oftentimes when, when God is at work in our lives. Will we be open and responsive, or will we go hard and resist? And we see that those who are open and responsive and malleable to the work of God, those who are, who are described in Psalm 84 as those who go through the valley of Bacar, but make it a place of springs... Those who go through the valley of Bacar being that place of suffering and hardship, of wilderness and desert-like spaces, but make it a place where they bring life, where they bring it to life, a place of springs. And so the call on Joseph's life in that season was to perseverance, to not give up or pack it in, but to stay true and faithful to God because God was not yet done. And then last week, David brought the message uh, where Joseph, uh, after he had interpreted a round of dreams or several rounds of dreams, rises to prominence in Pharaoh's house, is put in charge of everything, uh, and then the famine comes to the land and, and, and everyone's struggling, and in fact, all the way off out, out of Egypt, Joseph's own family begin to feel the effects of the famine, they can't find food anywhere, and so they come down to Egypt, Joseph's own brothers, 
the very brothers who sold him into slavery, come down to Egypt and Joseph is confronted by those who had betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Those who had given him up for dead. And, you, and you know, just imagine the pain and the hurt and the frustration. And Joseph, we see in that story, in, in those chapters last week, breaks down in utter humility, just weeping. He calls his brothers to come near to me, come close, and he embraces them. And I think in that moment we saw a picture of a very different person, right? We saw a transformed man. Yes, he'd been broken. Yes, he'd experienced humbling circumstances, but the Scriptures bear witness to the work of God in Joseph's life to mature him. We saw that transformation has taken place in his life, and Joseph's response was an unexpected one, wasn't it? He forgave them. He forgave those brothers who sold him into slavery. That's an unexpected response, right? Our culture and the Hollywood narratives have conditioned us so well to expect revenge and vengeance. And that's what you do when those who have betrayed you show up later on in life. And you're in a position of power and you have the authority to do what you want, right? But no, he forgives. No revenge, no vengeance, no proving his rightness and, or his innocence, right? And we see that David did a great job last week of just reminding us of the truth that actually Jesus has done the exact same for each and every one of us. We, like those older brothers, we all have denied and betrayed Christ all the time and yet He forgives us. He offers grace and His grace enables us to then forgive others. We're, we're able to offer it and extend it to others. But the truth that we had to wrestle with last week, the challenge that we had to wrestle with last week, if we're honest, is that the reality that unforgiveness in our lives is one of the greatest obstacles to the grace of God being able to work in and through us. If we remain in a place of unforgiveness and allow it to take root in our hearts, in our souls... You know what kind of plant grows up out of that? One that carries the name of bitterness or resentment. That's the fruit that comes from that seed, right? And instead, God says, I've forgiven you, now freely forgive. It's not saying it's easy, not saying it's pleasant, but that's the work of God. And if we will only practice forgiveness, we open ourselves to that flow of grace in and through our lives far more readily. And that's what Joseph did. And so we see the story continues. The brothers return back and Joseph's father, Jacob, and all of his household come down to Egypt and they settle there in, the, in, the, in Goshen. And Joseph provides for them all. He saves their lives. Jacob grows old and dies Joseph and his brothers, they gather around and they weep and they mourn and then they go and bury him just as Jacob had requested. Joseph's brothers then, as they come back from the burial time and they come back to Egypt, Joseph's brothers grow anxious and that's exactly where our text for today uh, picks up, isn't it? It said in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. 
This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. And here we are at the end of the story, Genesis chapter 50. It's like a full circle moment, isn't it? This is the ultimate and finally we have the fulfillment of Joseph's dream all the way back in Genesis chapter 37. Now, it's playing out very, very differently than what Joseph interpreted it or understood it to mean back in chapter 37, isn't it? Yes, Joseph has raised to a place of status and power, maybe even far more than he even dreamed and imagined in chapter 37. He's raised to an incredible power and status, but that's not the meaning of the dream, is it? That's not what, 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 uh, what God has in mind. Instead, God has something else. God's saying, I'm doing this so that I might save you fully. And so we see finally this fulfillment of Joseph's dream that kicked the whole thing off, where there's these brothers maybe, they're not bowing down in honorific kind of a sense. They're bowing down, begging for forgiveness. You see it? And then if you back up just a second to the end of verse 17, right before that picture of his brothers coming in and throwing themselves down before Joseph, it says, when their message came to him, it says, Joseph wept. Joseph wept. Now, we know he's a pretty emotional guy. He's been weeping a few, a few times throughout the story, right? Um, that's okay. Uh, you know, uh, that, that, that's, that's healthy in some respects. But why is he weeping here, this message that's come? Why is he weeping? Because the brothers have just kind of said, hey, you're the final words of your father said, hey, don't hold the sins of, you know, of us against them, blah, 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 blah. This is, so will you honor your father's kind of dying wish, essentially, is what they're saying. Now, we have no, like, I, you can go back, you've been reading the story over the last few weeks. There's nowhere prior to this that we actually see that's what Jacob wanted. It's not recorded in the Scriptures anywhere. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't say it, but it's not here in the Scriptures. So, is Joseph maybe weeping because actually he's just grieving the fact that in a lot of ways it seems like maybe his brothers are just up to the same old antics, the same old tactics where they're deceiving and manipulating and trying to play something that's not fully true, you know what I mean? Like, oh, and he's just like, oh, come on, really? After all of this, you still haven't got it? And he's grieved in his spirit, you know, that sense of maybe he's weeping for that reason. Maybe he's weeping, you know, because he's human and he's just been re-triggered by the fresh grief and loss of his beloved father who's just passed. And they say, hey, your father Jacob has just died. And you know those waves of grief that catch you unawares? That could be it, right? We know this is a pretty human story. We've seen it all the way through these last four weeks. But I wonder this morning, the truth is we don't really know why Joseph wept at this point. But I got to wonder if when we consider that his brothers are not bowing down because he is this powerful figure to who lords it over them, but they're bowing down, begging for forgiveness. I wonder if there's actually something where Joseph is weeping in wonder, in absolute overwhelmed awe of all that God has done. 
like, a, like, an, like an overwhelmed humility that just kind of gushes out of him at the incredible goodness of God. When he reflects, when he looks at his brothers who are bowing down to him and he's like, I don't feel any bitterness or resentment in my heart towards you at all. I, I don't want any to exact any revenge or vengeance here. I don't want that for you. I don't expect that from you. Look what God has done in me. I'm free of all of that. You, you imagine maybe he's just so overcome and overwhelmed by the goodness of God in his life that he weeps. It just comes out of him because he says, look what God's done. I'm completely transformed on the inside. And look what God's done. He set the stage to provide for and protect and save His people, His promised people. It's this incredible, incredible moment. But, and then we see Joseph's response to them saying, you know, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is that same humility we saw when he was asked to interpret the dreams of the cup, the cupbearer and the baker and Pharaoh himself saying, no, I don't know how to interpret dreams, but God does. Let's ask God, you know? It's the same humility. He says, am I in the place of God? Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And I'm so glad that last phrase is there. Because I think that's like, that's further re, re, reaffirmation or re, reinforcement of the transformation that's taken place. You know, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to reassure them and speak kindly to them, isn't it? That's deeper work that's been done. And I just think we see here on display, the Scriptures give evidence to this transformed life in Joseph, that the grace of God has enabled him to forgive. And this dialogue with his brothers, we see four times, he's, he's pointing to God, saying, God sent me ahead of you, throughout the chapters leading up to this point, over and over again, he says, God did this, God sent me ahead of you, God did this, he, 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 God orchestrated things in order to save you, God's been the one. And it's hugely important in what Joseph is communicating. And he's saying here that, that he sees himself as a servant, and he knows now that in the core of his being that he is there to help others, to serve others, to bless others, that it's not about him, he shares that it was for others that God did this, that, so that others could be saved, so that others could have life, so that others could have food, so that others could have their dreams realized and come alive. And so that others that include those very same brothers that were going to kill him. I mean, what a change of heart. What incredible godly character, right? It's just amazing. It's this stunning display of the grace of God outworked through a human life, isn't it? This is amazing stunning display of the goodness of God, the kindness of God, that He would be so kind to work that out. And as I've been reflecting on Joseph's life, I want to invite, you know, as we, as, we, as we kind of look and we look back on his life and the story in like a rear view moment, kind of looking at the, the rear view mirror kind of moment, um, it's been pretty easy to focus our attention throughout a story like this. And really, anytime we come to the Scriptures, to focus on Joseph as being like the main character of the story. 
And he's a good dude, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm on Team Joseph. Um, uh, you know, but the truth is, as I've been reflecting on it over, the, over this past week, is that I've had the words of my um, Bible professors haunting me from when I was studying, that, 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 that just say, on every page of the Bible, the main character is God. Every page of the, of the Scriptures bear witness to who God is, to His nature, His, His character, His attributes. Every page of the Scriptures bear witness to how God is working and dealing. They bear witness to the fact that He is active and at work, and the ways in which He is working and dealing, not just in circumstances, but in and through people, Right? over and over and over again. This is what the Scriptures teach us. And so, you know, for those of you who are signing up for David's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, here's a leg up for you. You know, this can be lesson number one. One of the best questions you can ask yourself anytime you're reading the Scriptures is, what does this text tell me about God? What does this text tell me about God? You want to become a better reader of Scripture? Start there. There's no better place to start. What does this text tell me about God? And it's caused me to wrestle, you know, if you're anything like me, there's been some um, uh, uneasiness around this whole narrative, this whole story, and we haven't talked about it yet. But let me just name it. There's this dynamic at play in this story, and as soon as I name it, you'll probably go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, between the absolute sovereignty of God and His ability to do whatever He wants in whatever way He wants, that He is in control of all things, alongside the free will of human beings and the interplay between these two. There are human choices that, on the one hand, you go, wait a second, that doesn't seem like God's enacting that or enforcing that. And then there's ways that God does intervene that you go, only God could do that, right? And it's just this dynamic interplay that just kind of weaves its way all the way through the Scriptures again and again and again, and it goes on and on. And, and I don't know about you, there's, there's something about it that remains really uncomfortable for me and unresolved for me, uh, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm being really honest about the, the dynamic of those two things. And maybe that's exactly the point, <laughs> Because our mortal, finite, limited human brains will never fully get at this side of eternity. But one day we will, and we'll be like, oh, yeah. But it still blows my mind when I think about it, right? It still blows my mind trying to understand the sovereignty of God and human free will and how all this works together. I mean, but it's, it's really wrapped up. And, and you know, there's, there's this, this, I just I so appreciate the series title for this series of, of just saying the unexpected nature of it all. And so as I've kind of been reflecting on that dynamic interplay of the sovereignty of God and human free will and all that kind of stuff going, this is the pattern we've seen played out through, through Joseph's life. And I was reading in a book this week, a book called um, The Thing Beneath the Thing by a guy named Steve Carter. And, um, and he laid out this, this pattern really that I think is so helpful as an interpretive lens to lay over Joseph's life and your life and my life where he says, so much in life we experience as events plus responses lead to outcomes, 
So you'll see it on the screen here, right? We, we experience the unexpected. These are the events that happen in our lives all the time. We respond to those things, and that results in outcomes. Pretty, pretty sophisticated, I know. You're all kind of like trying to take it in. But the truth is, you and I, we, we have little to no control over most things that happen to us in our lives, right? So much in life, we have so little control over. Things will happen. You'll have a bad day. You'll get a hard phone call. Another stock market crash or global pandemic. I mean, who had control over that? Not me. You know what I mean? We, we just don't have control over things. Or perhaps you'll get into a car accident that wasn't your fault. It was someone else's. You know, maybe you'll get into... We often have zero control over things and countless, like, over life at all. The only thing that we can control is our response to those things. You see it? The only thing we can control is our response. So whatever the event might be, your response to it, the choice you make, largely shapes the outcome or determines the outcome. So when you experience something bad, unexpected happens, you can choose your response be to bury your head in the sand, but the outcome is, is that the problem will still be there. You know how burying your head in the sand doesn't make the problem go away? It's just a coping strategy. Or maybe when you experience something really bad, you blame someone else. That's your response. And the outcome is that then later down the line, you'll have to reconcile your relationship with that person that you blamed. I mean, you get the point, right? You see how this plays out in our lives all the time. Now, I will say, there's no guarantee in this scenario. Like, like uh, if we experience a certain event and we have a positive response, it's going to lead to a positive outcome. Like, we see that in Joseph's story, right? Like, there's no guarantees. It's not up and to the right. It's not a promised guarantee. Um, but the invitation and the call of Christ on our lives is to respond in godly ways And we can do that in both external ways and internal ways. So think about it. Let's run it through Joseph's life on the external, the surface level, right? The unexpected events that he faced. He had this initial dream from God was the event in in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph then responded with this poor, immature, arrogant interpretation that he shared with the whole brothers and the outcome was he was sold into slavery. What was a positive event? Cool dream with a negative response, led to a negative outcome. You see, you see, you see the trend? Again, there's no guarantees. It's not, it's not linear like this. It's not, it's, not, it's not linear because the next thing we see is he's tempted by Potiphar's wife. Negative event. He responds positively by resisting temptation, right? And what's the outcome? He's thrown in jail. Sorry, see, this is just like, we don't get to control the events or the outcomes. The only thing we have control over, friends, is that middle piece, our response in the moment. That's, that's what we get to have control over. That's where we get to respond. You know, we see later when, when Joseph is invited to interpret dreams of the cupbearer or the baker or eventually of Pharaoh himself, we see Joseph responds positively. He names God as the one who interprets dreams. He doesn't take credit for himself. He acknowledges God. And the outcome is initially bad for the first two. He's forgotten and left in jail for another two years. But then with Pharaoh, the outcome's a good one. He's raised to prominence. He's like number two in charge. Like same same first two of, you know, kind of things and two different, you see what I'm saying? It's not linear. It's not, you know, like we don't have control over the events or the outcomes. The only thing, this is encouraging word, isn't it? 
Oh, isn't this good? But let's go inward now for a minute. Let's lay this formula, if you want, over the inner work of God inside of Joseph. And when we play that out over the events that he experienced, his response to those events inside of himself. So, after Joseph's early response of immaturity and pride and arrogance, we see a shift. That was a negative response. But consistently in Joseph's life after that point, we see a pattern of faithful, God-honoring, integrous... Is that a word? I'm just going to go with it. Uh, responses. <laughs> you, you, get, you get what I'm saying. You know what I mean, right? But that's what we see. That he, he builds this pattern of responding well to the work of God within him. He's not caught up on the events or the outcomes. He's attending to what God is doing in the moment and how he, what a faithful response to God might be inside of himself. So when God allows the events and circumstances of his life, the unexpected things, to cause Joseph to feel humility take root and start to grow, Joseph embraces that, those breaking experiences. Joseph embraces the work that God is doing to grow character and humility and form him. And the outcome at the end of his life that we saw here in Genesis 50 is a man of deep integrity, of godly character, a man who God blesses and who God trusts to outwork God's plans and God's agenda. Do you see it? There's this inner transformation that's taken place. And yes, Joseph had no control over the events and the outcomes, but boy, he had control over his response. And he chose to remain open and malleable and receptive and embracing the work of God, no matter how hard it was, no matter how painful it was. He went there with God, right? And when we view God as the main character in the story, that this story is actually about what God is doing in the world, then our eyes get opened in wonder and in awe. And I can't, you know, it makes a little bit more sense why we see Joseph showing up there and weeping, right? Because we weep with wonder. And it's because it's not at the external circumstances, it's at the inner character transformation that God has done inside this man's life. He's completely transformed. It reminds me of this beautiful but somewhat troubling quote from Dallas Willard, or it's a challenging quote, it's a good one, where he says, the main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, it's the person you become. That's the main thing God gets out of your life, the person you become. And I'd add, it's actually the main thing you get out of your life and your loved ones get out of your life is the person you become. And so the good news, friends, for you and I today is that the same God who was at work, the same God we see on display in Joseph's life working that transformation is the same God who is at work in your life today. You may not have control over all the events. You may not get the outcomes that you want. But if you will embrace those moments in responding to God in the moment, then 
the same God who was at work in Joseph's life will respond and flood you with grace and His presence and the power of the Holy Spirit will will enable you to become increasingly more and more like Him and you will rise up as a person of deep integrity and godly character, one whom God knows He can trust to outwork His will and agenda and plans in the world. And so you'll get regular invitations to join him where he's at work. And because you're so attuned to what God is saying and doing in the world, you'll be able to recognize them quickly. You won't kind of be wandering around going, oh, what's God up to? You know, they tell me in church he's, you know, always active and doing things. No, you'll see it everywhere at home and with your family and on the street and in your neighborhood and at work with your colleagues and wherever you go, you're like, God is here. God is doing this, this conversation with this person, and he's, he's entrusting me to step into it? Man, how incredible is that? Beautiful. And it leaves me just going, man, I want that. I want to be that kind of person. I long for that, that I'd be so formed and shaped in the image of Christ. Deep integrity, godly character, that he would trust me to play a part in His purposes in the world. Because there's no greater thrill, no greater joy in life than that, than the thrill of being known you've been used by God to bless someone else. You know it? It's the truth, right? So, the the truth is, though, while I want that, and as your pastor, that's what I want for you and what I want for our church, the truth is, if we're really honest, um, we don't often choose the way of Joseph, do we? The truth is, you know, we'll experience a hard event and our response is not necessarily to embrace it, but to avoid it. Because when we experience painful things in life, we've been so conditioned by our culture to think that pain is bad or wrong or shouldn't be part of our lives. Anyone? It's not just me, is it? And so what do we do when we experience pain and hard things in our lives? I don't know about you, but my go-tos are to either avoid it, withdraw, or to numb out and pretend it's not there. It's kind of, you know, the numb out is kind of the current language for like bury your head in the sand and just pretend it's not there, right? But the truth is, if we will learn to be people who embrace pain and trust God to journey us through those hard things. That's the pathway to maturity, friends. That's the pathway to true discipleship. God God doesn't leave us. He's right there with us in and through it. And so when I talk about embracing those hard things and those, I'm not in any way suggesting that we kind of take hard things and suffering in our lives and like baptize it and minimize it and say these things are good. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me say that at all Um, because that's not what I think. I think actually a godly response is to say this experience that I'm going through is not God's best or God's intent, but I'm here and He's with me and He's going to take me through it, right? And we're going to get through this and we're going to come out the other side. You get what I'm saying? There's a different posturing. Um, and, and, and so I don't want to kind of just say, let's baptize and sanctify hard things and suffering in our life, because that's, that's not it at all. Instead, it's a receptive posture that says, okay, God, 
I can't control the events, I can't control the outcomes, but what I can do is control my response. And so my response now is to resist the temptation to harden or to avoid or to numb out and instead open myself and say, God, this does not feel comfortable or easy. I don't like it. I don't want it. But I need it. And I know it's good. Will you shape me, form me, change me, transform me, heal me, free me, forgive me, love me into who you called and created me to be from the very beginning? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so, how do we do that, friends? How do we live into that? Tomorrow, Monday, heading back to work. And then on Thursday, before that meeting with that person, you know, how do we live into that? This is where, you know, we've, we've been saying over this whole year, we've got to ruthlessly pursue Christ. And the only way we're going to do that is by building sets of rhythms and patterns and habits and disciplines in our lives because willpower won't get you through that hard meeting on Thursday with that person. But your habits will habits that open us to the work of God in and through us, habits that hold us in His presence and in His love, habits that develop a posture of saying God is present and attuning to His voice, habits that that's, that's the work that holds us there. That's why we started the start of the year with a series called Rhythms of Life. You remember what they were? We talked about having four rhythms of life that we as a church whanau would embrace and practice together, that we would pray, bless, notice, rest. Remember it? Pray, bless, notice, right? Yeah, get your groove on. Uh, that we would pray every day. That we would bless someone in a meaningful way once a week. That we would notice what God is speaking to us through His Word. Because He's the main character on every page, remember? Every day. We're tuning to the things that He is speaking to us through His Word. And that we would practice rest weekly by practicing Sabbath delight. We would Sabbath every week as the people of God. Pray, bless, notice, rest. And these aren't things that you just add onto the pile of an already busy life, friends. Some of you have been trying to practice these over the year and maybe you're feeling a little bit discouraged already because you're not quite getting on top of it. In order to live into these practices, maybe you've discovered this by now, oftentimes it means we've got to remove some other things <laughs> from our lives in order to prioritize, because we don't just add these onto the pile of an already busy life. No, we, what we do is we reorient our whole lives around following Christ and pursuing Him. These become the most important things that we do on any given day and any given week. Why? Because we want to be people who know how to respond when difficult things happen to our lives, and we know we can't control the outcomes. You see it? We want to be people who remain open and receptive to the work of God in and through our lives. It's not just about what you do, but what God is going to do in and through you. Because that's the stunning story of Joseph's life, isn't it? Yes, Joseph's a pretty cool dude. But the most inspiring part of the story is what God has done <laughs> through the life of a person who would open himself and be responsive to it. Amen? And so the team's going to come, and I want to lead us in a time of responding to God this morning, that we would respond to whatever God might be speaking and doing, and that we would be people who, like Joseph, choose 
good and healthy responses. And so um, we're going we're gonna to have some time of worship, and, and, and as, we, as we respond, I just want to welcome the Holy Spirit to come and to minister among us. Because I have the sense that maybe, maybe this, as we close the series, as we kind of come to the end point of these four weeks, that actually I, th- I wonder if there's some people who there's been a sense of building, but there's also been a stream of reluctance or resistance, if I'm honest. And today's the day that it's time to, it's time, time to open up and say, okay, Lord, I'm here. Come meet me, minister to me. And so, as we often do, I'd invite you to stand with me, and I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to come, to meet with us, to minister to us, to do His work of healing among us. And we'll just pause and listen for the voice of God, the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and do what only you can do. Come, Holy Spirit. sense of the work of God within you, but there's been an equal growing sense of reluctance or resistance or residual reluctance and resistance going on in your life. And and this morning is a time of saying, you know what? I'm not going to harden my heart anymore. I'm not going to withdraw or avoid. I'm not going to numb out. I'm not going to... I'm going to press in. I'm going to be receptive and moldable to full surrender to Christ submission to His Lordship over your life. And I just want to give space, if that's you this morning, to come 
as well. So the team's going to sing and lead us in a song. And um, I'd invite you to come. Why don't you come? We'd love to pray for you if that's you this morning. Um, and, and often one of the ways that you know that's you is the minute I started naming it and speaking it, you, you just had like a sense inside of you. Like maybe you got really warm or your heart started beating quite fast. And like, that, that's me. There was some kind of a response inside of you. Like, yeah, that's me. And then it often, you know, as that thought kind of comes from your mind, it fades quickly to the back of your mind and is replaced by the thought of saying, but there's no way I'd ever go forward. <laughs> That's often further confirmation that God's doing something and there's someone trying to block it and hinder it. And so I would just say, listen to the first voice, trust the first voice and invite you to respond this morning. I'd love to pray with you out prayer team would love to come and minister and pray um, and so if that's you why don't you come why don't you come as we pray now Lord we do thank you that you are always present and working moving and doing and, and even in these weeks as we've studied through the life of Joseph together and just witnessed the incredible goodness and kindness and, and love that you have for us that you would hold Joseph in the midst of such challenging situations. You would hold us in the midst of such challenging, difficult situations. And so we say, Lord, we're open to you. 